0: Hey there, and thanks for tuning in to the show, Talks with Tiger. Uh, I appreciate y'all stopping by, giving it a chance. This one is with Albert Lee, who's running for Congress. He's running for OR03, which is in Portland, Oregon District 3. And uh, he's a really, really friendly guy. Like, I actually just enjoyed speaking with him as a person. So, it'd be cool to have more politicians like that in a position of power because it's just, you know, it's more people in there instead of just these uh, lifelong politicians. So, loved speaking with him. One thing I got to say is for this show, I actually traveled and spoke up in Portland instead of my hometown, Eugene. So, uh, the audio is slightly off because I had to speak in a library, not like a nice studio. So, Just know that the the audio quality of the show is usually a little bit better than this, a little less echoey, but I think the quality of conversation more than made up for it. If you want to help, uh, follow me on Patreon. One dollar a month helps make this possible. And if you're a new person, just enjoy the show. Consider it later. Just subscribe. And lots of love. Here's the show. Alright, Albert Lee for Congress. How goes it? It goes well. Nice. Would you want to give a brief introduction of... Who you are, what you're doing?
1: Yeah, sure. My name is Albert Lee and I am running to represent the people of the 3rd District of Oregon to the United States Congress. I'm running because I believe that democracy requires choice. It's something that we simply haven't had in over a generation. We face a series of crises here in this district across the country and around the world that require bold action now and not just inspirational and aspirational words. I'm running because I believe in the basic tenets of the Democratic Party when it comes to diversity, equity, and inclusion. I think it's time that we uplift some new voices from some other backgrounds, from some other lived experiences to represent us here in the most diverse district of our state. And then finally, I'm running because I think it's time that we end this oligarchy. This oligarchy of elite career, multimillionaire politicians ruling over us and, representing, and instead replacing them with citizen representatives who know the struggle,
0: hundred percent.
1: who will not take corporate contributions, Nice. and who will truly represent and fight for the people.
0: Yeah, the person who you will be replacing when you win has been here since 1996 or that something? That is
1: correct. Uh, that's and, crazy. and has actually been a politician for 45 years, so oh has been a politician longer than I've been alive.
0: Yeah, at what point are you so distanced from reality that you're not actually working for the people?
1: Well, you know, that's kind of the question that I'd like to ask, because uh, quite frankly, the people of the third district face a lot of different issues that... Quite frankly, I don't know if our representative really truly understands the plight of regular everyday residents and citizens.
0: People fighting to make 15 an hour.
1: Yeah, and you know that 15 an hour is not enough to live on in this area. Not in this area, not even in the exurbs. Yeah.
0: And do you think it's a realistic possibility that they even get the minimum wage bumped to 15, which will hopefully bump other people up to 18 and 20? Well,
1: you know, that's I, I'm glad that you bring that up because the minimum wage really is an anchor to all wages. So over the last 40 years, the minimum wage has remained flat and quite honestly stagnant and is has uh, receded if you took take a look at the real uh, relative output of that money, what that money can buy you. Um, you know, so the wages have remained low and have been repressed and have actually gone down for like fifty while, years. While the cost of everything else has gone up. The cost of housing, the cost of milk, the cost of gas, everything else goes up to the point where people can't make it on just one job alone. Yeah.
0: Which is why we here, um, just parking I'm from Eugene, but we have the same problem here. We have a lot of people without houses. Yeah. Without housing.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's an epidemic. When I first moved here in 2005, the first thing that I noticed was the homelessness crisis. Yes. It was a crisis then. It is super critical today.
0: Mm-hmm. And do you see there being a possible solution to that, or just maybe steps toward a solution?
1: No. See, the incrementalism is part of the problem. Part and part, part and parcel of the problem is the incrementalism. We get incrementalism because we have money in politics. We have politicians that are bought off by wealthy uh, corporations and individuals who give them that line of incrementalism, uh, you know, throw some crumbs out to the masses nice. instead of actually, uh, affecting change as we need it.
0: You know why that's my favorite thing you've said already even is because, uh, one of the big Krishnamurti tenets is human's favorite mode of escape rather than like watching TV mindlessly is creating a future. Oh, yes. in 10 years, there won't be a homelessness problem. Right. Let's so do it now. Not, yeah. You're not. And, and, but only being one congressman, do you think you can make that change or at least in your district or how's that work?
1: Well, thank you. I, I appreciate that. And you, you know, that is a realistic situation. The, the, the tenure of a congressman or a woman is two years. And a lot of the things that I talk about, a lot of the things that everybody else talks about needs is going to take more than two years for yeah. a lot of those things. However, that doesn't mean that we don't start doing it now. You know, in 2016, Uh, Bernie Sanders really lit up a lot of people, including myself, got us activated. And in turn, in 2018, we had the squad, we had a group of progressives that have come in from all walks of life, and quite frankly, have done more in their first two years, not even a complete two years yet, their first two years, they've done more than a lot of the congressional members of Congress have in the 20, 30, and 40 years that they have been in power. Absolutely, and so you will be another member of that squad, would you consider yourself? Indeed, I I think that we need to add to the squad. I think that we need to uh, increase the diversity and the um, of, of backgrounds, ages, experiences to that squad, so that we can affect and get to workable solutions so that we can get to the real change that we need for the people.
0: 100%, what are your top issues? Um, I read a little bit through <laughs> your platform. Um, yeah. You seem to be hitting on all this, the, the, the strong ones.
1: Yeah, you know, I wanna start by framing this. There's a word that goes out there that seems to be on the lips of everyone, and that is the word is progressive. Uh, Quite frankly that word doesn't mean a damn thing right now. Uh, it just seems like um, everyone is a progressive uh, and the word has no real true definition. Uh, what I think we need is we need people that are going to affect change to ensure that we have a government that's going to work for all of us and not just the 1%. Not just the folks at the very top of our of our society. Uh, so that would be my definition of progressivism is that we have a government that works for all of us and not just the relative few um now i lost my tra- train of thought you were asking about
0: yeah well um your, your top platforms but before for because you've already probably
1: convinced some people when and how can they vote to get you in sure so uh, first of all we are in a closed state primary a uh, closed primary state Which means that in order to vote for me in the Democratic primary on May 19th, you have to be registered and you have to be registered as a Democrat. In fact, I talked to some independents today and some Republicans today out on the uh, canvassing uh, out in Southeast that want to vote for me. And I told Uh, them the exact same thing. I said, you need to become a Democrat and you need to uh, register before I, sometime in March in order to get onto the. It's uh, coming primary. up. It's coming so up. So re-register yeah, as a
0: Democrat, and then when's the actual
1: voting? May nineteenth. May nineteenth. So before May nineteenth, because we are in a mail by a uh, vote by mail state so yeah. you've got a couple of weeks to vote cool mm-hmm. i like it so
0: anyways your your platforms moop, yes moop is a big one yes. money out of politics so i mean you're kind of going along with bernie in terms of you won't take any money from
1: 100 percent funded by the people because quite frankly Would it be the climate change or the homelessness crisis or the lack of universal health care? All of those things are tied to the fact that there is so much money in politics, corporate money in politics that dictates and tells our members of Congress what to do and how to do it. Uh, We need to have more members of Congress who will not accept corporate contributions. If we have that, then we can actually get to the change that we need.
0: Yeah, I 100% agree. So, What steps would Portland take for climate change? Because that's a big word, big thing. And a lot of people say, oh, this is a problem. And then don't offer solutions, which I think (laughs) is the worst thing you could do. Maybe not the worst, but it doesn't help. Just telling people it's a problem just makes people hopeless.
1: No, absolutely. And, you know, so we've got this big thing about, oh, do we do individual actions or do we do systemic change? And the answer is yes and. Right. So, on the individual level, yes, you can lower your thermostat in the in, the, in winter and increase it up in the summertime. You can take uh, public transportation. You can buy more fuel efficient vehicles. You can commute and carpool as much as possible. Those things do affect, you know, a little, little bit. Of, and, and but but more importantly, we need to focus on the systemic things. Right. So we need to take a look at our system right now. You know, when I first moved here in 2005, you could get from St. Johns to Southwest Portland in 10 minutes, because we just didn't have the traffic. Yeah. Today, we have, uh, you know, exponentially more uh, individual vehicles. We have more trucks on the roads, and we have the same uh, network. We need to get people out of their personal vehicles. And the only way you can do that is to provide them a public transportation system that is going to be high frequency, that is going to get them to where they need to be. And it's going to be cost effective. Yeah.
0: How about like a bike, like more bike friendly too?
1: Absolutely. And yeah. so, uh, we, we are seeing some of these things happen where we're having some protected bike lanes where you have parked cars that protect the bike lanes. We need more of those kind of things to encourage people to become, um, bikers. Uh, I remember, uh, you know, I used to commute by bike when I lived on the East coast and that was a dangerous place to do so. Uh, but a lot of people wouldn't simply for the fear of the cars. And that's totally realistic. Absolutely. Like
0: the the, st- the system kind of has to let it like be, be more open to it happening or else you're, you're putting yourself in danger for
1: it. 100%. So we need to make systemic changes that are going to encourage people to do the right thing. Nice. Mm-hmm. And
0: so you get, you, you win your congressman now. Um, what does that, what does that change kind of look like? Like, do you, do you, are you still beholden to many others, or like at that point, if you have the the mo- momentum of the people behind you, can you start making changes?
1: I think you can start making changes. I mean, that's I have cool. good examples right now. New York fourteen with Alexandria Ocasio Cortez, Ilhan Omar, Rashida Tlaib. They are examples of what you do once you get into office. You don't kowtow to the party. You don't pay the what two hundred fifty thousand dollar fee that that they wanted uh, AOC to pay. You say, listen, you know, I'm here to do a job for my district, and that's what I'm going to do. Yeah. If you guys are on board, that's cool. If you're not, we're going to figure out a different way.
0: That's really cool, man. Yeah. And so then you also report to the federal government because isn't there, is there two, there's two senators, There's state and uh, federal, right?
1: Yeah. So you've got a legislature both on the state level and also on the federal level for this position. This is strictly on the federal level. So there's 435 representatives currently, uh, representing the entire nation. Uh, and, and this is the thing that a lot of people don't realize. We're not just representing the citizens of the United States. We're representing all of the residents of the United States. So we're representing for me, I'm going to be looking to represent the entire resident population of the third district and not just the citizens. We're talking about all the people that live here.
0: Yeah. That's a big thing, man. I mean, do you want to touch on immigration or is that like too? No immigration.
1: Absolutely. Uh, you know, right now, our current immigration uh, system is broken. We all it's know broken. that. Yeah. Uh, and it is uh, basically built on the structures of systemic racism. I mean, the way that people are allowed to come in, who can come in and why. Uh, there was a article or... Um, A radio uh, program the other day that we're talking about uh just the insanity of how the h1b system works um and we had immigration lawyers on there talking about how it just is arbitrary and capricious yeah we need to figure out a system that is fair i know that a lot of people on the other side of the aisle want to say get in line but the simple fact of the matter is is there is no line really no i mean uh, you know, there there there's a line for these people over here. There's a line for these people over here. There's a fast track for these people over here. And if you have a special skill, like Melania Trump apparently had, uh, you can just jump right in.
0: Well, there should there should be a clear way to citizenship. Yes, but so is the current like uh, sanctuary state of Oregon. If you are um, if you just come over here without being a citizen and you make it to Oregon, are you completely safe? No, is that how it works? absolutely oh, not. Oh, interesting.
1: So uh, with the sanctuary status basically it means that. We, we live in a federalist system. So you have uh, different levels of government. We have local municipalities, county, uh, state, and then federal. So with the sanctuary states, with the sanctuary cities, with the sanctuary counties, what they're saying is that they're not going to cooperate with the federal enforcement of immigration. So in other words, if ICE or one of the other federal uh, enforcement agencies are looking for an immigrant, the sheriff's department of a county that's a sanctuary county is not going to provide them with information they have or a sanctuary city will not allow, allow their police officers to uh, coordinate with as federal enforcement agents but the federal enforcement agents will still be able to do their job yeah and uh, so
0: so what what's the solution to that because that's i mean immigration and being important here's the thing i talked with joel ibo who works at the oregon causa or Casa oregon causa yeah causa mm-hmm. um and he really made it apparent that Oregon is the front line for the whole country in terms of like legislation for this. So what kind of legislation would you try to push for, or would you push forward?
1: Yeah. So first of all, I would say that we would need to take a hard look at our federal immigration policy, right now we have caps on H one B visas. Those are the visas for the high skill uh, level workers. Uh, we have uh, a hodgepodge of different immigration uh, avail- available to different people. So it's
0: a lottery system,
1: right? A lottery system with the H one B, but also you know we've we've got uh, a system for relatives of immigrant of immigra- of, uh, of citizens. We have an- another system for people who get married. We need to get a singular unified system that uh, does not bias folks from certain countries and and promotes folks from other countries. Look, we are a nation of immigrants. Um, You know, there is a very small fraction of a percent of folks uh, who are native to this land. The rest of us. Can trace our, our origins back to immigrants, and that is what has made this country great. Was the fact that we brought people in from all over, and we're able to harness uh, their cultures, we're able to harness their skills, uh, their different perspectives to make this place a greater uh, and more unified country.
0: Yeah, I think it's just the lifeboat fallacy, where like I mean, people in Hawaii, for example, they don't want anyone else to move there. They move there, they're like, all right, now no one else gets to. <laughs> you know, everyone everyone always wants to be the cutoff. Yes. Um, And I mean, you got to admit there is a point though, where it's, we couldn't be, have completely open borders. Like maybe we could, I don't, I really don't know. Um, you know, that's a, that's a,
1: well, I, if you talk to, uh, our, uh, Native American, uh, uh, brothers and sisters, uh, they would tell you that there are no uh, borders there are no those those lines are imaginary. those lines are are, are, are not real. And in fact we have uh, some native tribes that straddle both the Canadian border and the Mexican border. Um, and so you know they can navigate both both sides of the border because they they are a sovereign tribe within. Um, and you know I quite frankly believe that we need to eventually get to a place where we, are a borderless world, yeah. Ooh, um, whole world. Well, think about it. At I least mean, with
0: the Americas would be a good place to start.
1: Think about it this way. Um, we talk about how we shouldn't as Americans, um, be impacted by what our zip code is. You know, in other words, you should have the ability to thrive, the ability to succeed regardless of where your zip code is in America. But we are here in America by accident of birth. For, for the most part, I was born in Korea, but for the majority of us, uh, we were here by accident of birth. It wasn't like you picked this place. It wasn't like you uh, uh, deserved to be here any more than the person that was born in India or South Africa. So my question is, why, why should we have borders at all? Yeah. Now I know that that would be a super controversial thing. And quite frankly, we're looking at something years down, yeah, that's down the not, road. That's, that's not something you yeah, no, absolutely. No.
0: But here's the thing to your point, actually, if there were no borders, it'd be easier to hold people accountable. Like the, uh, uh, carbon tax. It, it doesn't make sense to me when people say it, cause we're not holding other countries accountable. So what's the point in setting a goal when no one will hold China and India or the United States accountable. It's, it's just make believe. But if it were one cohesive world, it would be all holding itself accountable, which does make more sense.
1: I, I agree with you there. Uh, you know, I, 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 was, I was going off on another tangent and I was thinking about something else that happened a couple of years back when we had the air quality issues because of the uh, two glass makers here, Ouroboros and Bullseye, right? And um, so we here in Portland were, were shocked at all the uh, heavy metals that were in the air, the pollutants that were caused by their production. So one of them decided to move their operation outside of portland and they moved to the coast uh and then eventually they moved down to mexico so uh you know while it may have saved uh the air here it affected we effectively shifted that poison to the people on the coast and then eventually to the people in mexico and it's just that's just simply not fair and we live on one planet uh we need to take care of it we need to be good stewards of this land we we need, need glass but we need glass but you, we 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 need to have it in such a way that we're not shifting the responsibility and the pollutants to the poor. I mean that is the way uh, um, it always affects people. Those at the bottom of society are impacted more. Uh, they pay the prices more, and, and all of the negative externalities. So that us at the we at the top uh, benefit. And when we talk, when I go back to the open borders idea, look. Uh, You know, folks come here because uh, of uh, expectations of trying to thrive. They're looking for a better way of life. You know, every migrant is an economic migrant. Um, You know, when I first moved to Oregon, I was an economic migrant because I couldn't afford to live on the East Coast. Um, So I moved to a place that was more affordable. Um, You know, if you have open borders, you're going to eventually get to an equilibrium you're going to get to a point where uh, folks aren't going to be flooding into one place because then another place will be more there would be more opportunities in another place you'll eventually get to an equilibrium Um, so I think that you know when we think about closed borders and things we're we're really being truly short-sighted and just looking at the past and saying
0: hey this is what we know so might as well just keep going with the future like this Um, a big thing that would also kind of relating to borders is the prison system Mm -hmm. and what's your what's your concept of prison
1: abolition? 100%. 100%. I think we need to arrive to prison abolition because, quite frankly, the system, again, is one an, another one of those that is uh, built on structural uh, racism. Uh, it is a continuation of a system that we've had from the times of slavery, especially in the Deep South. You know, we have majority, uh, minority states in the Deep South that still are led for part and parcel uh, with white leadership, even though they're majority black states. And you ask yourself why, and the simple reason is because, uh, you know, people have been targeted, they have been incarcerated, uh, they have effectively been brought back into slavery, uh, legal slavery, you know, under the 13th Amendment. And the whole thing
0: is people know about this. Why isn't it changing? Like, people are aware that this is a thing. I think at least half of the country is aware that people are disproportionately Well,
1: I think it, targeted. it it goes back to the same thing with all of the other issues. Number one, we are in an interconnected world. We have an internet that provides us with tons and tons of information that number one overwhelms us. You know, there are so many different problems and issues that are going on throughout the world. Number two, a lot of those things are distant. If, If you're not impacted by it directly or if you don't have the likelihood of being impacted by it directly, you're not necessarily going to care as much and that brings me to another reason why i'm making this run i'm making this run because i'm looking at a future uh that could very well go south i'm looking at a future where uh we could go in one of two really bad directions either french revolution style off with their heads because of the immense wealth disparity or we could go the rise of fascism with the brown shirts i mean and that's already starting throughout the world not just here in the united states or third
0: option the rise of uh, communism
1: I, you know, I don't know about that, but I'm going to go back to, uh, you know, the sorry, rise the fascism. of fascism. Yeah, sorry. Uh, the, the system right now, we, we've got, um, brown shirts basically everywhere. I mean, I don't know what in, in, is that talk terminology? It, well, I mean, fascists, fascists. Oh, okay. uh, so in India, we've got uh, Hindu fascists <laughs> rising there. We, we, we've got fascists in Italy uh, here in the United States. And the the rise of this fascism is caused by the immense wealth gap that we have. So instead of looking up at the real cause, which are the the, the concentration of wealth in the hands of very few, the, the folks at the top keep pointing down and saying, Oh, well those folks over there are your problem or those folks over there are your problem, you know? And so even our president, you know, the Mexicans, they're bringing in your drugs, they're bringing in rapists. So othering and marginalizing and and directing the anger of people who are struggling, you know, to others. And that's where you get the fascism. And for me, you know, I'm a person of color. I'm a black man. I'm an Asian man. Uh, I'm going to be one of the people that get affected uh, uh, first and foremost. So, you know, this is important to me. This is important to me and my family to ensure that we have a stable country, a stable political system and a future for all of us. Yeah.
0: I mean, everything you've said has just been hard to. Dispute. I'm curious, is it taking a toll to run for Congress? I mean, this seems like if you're this passionate about something and then, you know, like see some progress and then you have a down day, it seems like your entire heart would be in this.
1: So I'm glad you bring that up. And I want to address something really important and very specific. So I was the dean for business and computing at portland community college up until the end of the school year in june and i had to step down from that position because as a state employed position um I wasn't able to continue that and to run for office.
0: You're like Leslie Nope in Parks and Rec. She was a part of <laughs> Yeah, Yeah. That's so, I mean, I,
1: I, I talked to human resources. I talked to the legal side and it was like, yeah, you can either be dean or you can run for office. So
0: you got all your eggs in this basket.
1: <laughs> um, well, yeah. So here's the thing, you know, um, running for office is a luxury for the wealthy. It is not built or designed for mere mortals, regular folks to do even though we are supposed to be living in a representational democracy, um, it is really the 1% who, who can and do run for office every once in a while. You've got somebody who's willing to take the risk. And I'm one of those folks that is willing to take the risk. So right now, uh, Personal finances are struggling. Um, I have had to take a shift job um, that makes a quarter of what I used to make uh, in order to hopefully um, continue to make ends meet as I continue making this run. Now on top of that, I am not taking corporate contributions, so I'm also tying a hand behind my back, you know. I'm not doing the traditional route because I believe that we need citizen representatives who are going to represent the people and not corporations. Ever since Buckley v. Vallejo in the 70s, uh, we have seen the erosion uh, where we've allowed money from big time corporations to control, uh, the way things are run. And that further alienates regular citizens from actually becoming representatives of their neighbors and their friends. Absolutely. And so, uh, I'm doing this the very hard way. I'm already running against an incumbent, which is, uh, insane for a lot of people to years do years incumbent, uh, 24 year incumbent. Um, but in, in on, on top of that, I'm tying, my hands behind my back yeah. because I believe in the values that I believe in and I want to do this the right way. How could people
0: make it easier for you and assist you? Can people in all of Oregon vote for you or is it only in District 3?
1: It is only in the third district that you can vote. However, you can show your support in many different ways. Uh, one way is by contributing to the campaign, which you can do at albertlead2020.com. Additionally, you uh, folks from around the country, around the world, quite frankly, know people that live in the third district and you can tell your friends and your neighbors and and the folks that live in the third district about this campaign because quite honestly we are not getting and that much play in the media you know we've reached out to many different folks and not a whole lot of mainstream media is willing to really to, to talk to us we we get to talk to folks like you the young turks uh, the humanist report, uh, a lot of different podcasts and the like, but, uh, as far as mainstream media, especially here within our local district, yeah. it's been crickets and, um, you know, we need to do everything we can to let folks know that this campaign is here, that for once you're going to actually have a choice, yeah. um, uh, to, uh,
0: in the primary. Mm-hmm. So you're facing a similar thing that Bernie and Tulsi and them are the non, conforming, uh, more aligned socialists are dealing with mm-hmm. i mean what would you even think when you saw that uh, the whole Sanders Warren thing that must have been chaos for someone like you to see that within your own party and then see someone bernie again being systematically destroyed by his own or attempted to
1: well i mean we've, we've watched as we've had the bernie blackout for the entirety of this race i mean when you look at the graphics from mainstream media even when he was uh you know at the top or near the top of the ladder oh they would switch up the way they put the graphical representations either by first name or last name whatever to demonstrate or to show him below the rest of the folks um, look, we need journalism. We do not need punditry. We do not need additional tabloids. And, and quite frankly, we don't have much in the way of journalism anymore. We have a bunch of tabloids out there. You know, I get my news from places like democracy now with Amy Goodman. Um, you know, I get my news from guardian UK, uh, you know, PBS, uh, I'm trying to stick to things that are not as tabloidy, not as, um, slick if you will um but as a as a people we have lost um uh, the skills in critical thinking and we have lost um uh, our analytical skills to really take a look and to discern what is real from what well, is not. I
0: don't know if it's, we've lost our skills. I think there's multimillion dollar companies that have scientists and top tier writers who know how to dissuade us and persuade us wrong ways. And then we're over and in, 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 inundated with it to the point where we give up. So we either give up and then we finally give a chance. And then honestly, if I read a right wing and a left wing thing, I can be convinced either
1: way. Well, here's the thing. Uh, in addition to that, when you look at our journalism, um our mainstream media has been consolidated over the last 10 20 years you know there's only a handful of people that really own and control uh most um, local news stations most local news stations exactly you know you've got uh folks like Sinclair that yeah. um, oh my do you see that video no. It was,
0: oh, oh, it was a hundred different newscasters saying the exact same phrase. Wow, oh, because okay. they just
1: control all of them. Right, it was sickening. But then you've got people like Jeff Bezos said owns the Washington Post. I know. Uh, so uh, when you have very rich and wealthy and powerful people in and and corporations that own um, the 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 airwaves yeah. that own the media, uh, you know, as much as I would hate and load the quote our president um you kind of wonder sometimes whether you are getting truth dude that's the thing is that if he was legitimate he would be the best
0: if he actually did all the things he said and made <laughs> the changes and if he was that but he says it and then he does the opposite right. which is like come on man like he could have been a great president he just didn't which is such a bummer man I mean, what can you do? But so do you, do you have hopes for this next, do you have hopes that we could get someone like Bernie in or do you think we are condemned to another four
1: years? Well, uh, I really think that that is dependent on the mainstream media and the democratic party. I think that together uh, they can uh, do a lot to put thumbs on the scales of things and prevent a Sanders uh, win in the primary. On the flip side, I think that they could also become impartial. And I think that if that were the case, then I think Bernie Sanders would have a very good chance of winning the nomination. And if he does so, I think that he has the best chance out of all of our uh, democratic primary challengers uh, to defeat uh, Trump.
0: Yes, I've been saying it on. And every time someone's like Yang or Tulsi or whoever, like with 1 million Twitter followers, Bernie has two accounts with 10 million each Mm -hmm. and the last president literally got in from tweeting. We need a a president or candidate who tweets, not Biden who doesn't have any sort of online presence. I'm like, I think, and I mean, Bernie went on Rogan, Bernie did a great job on Rogan. That's what we need is more things like that coming up. Mm -hmm. Um, and also endorsements by places like the Sunrise Movement, which I actually just went to my first meeting of. Um, oh, okay. Yeah. Do you have any involvement with them, or?
1: So um, you know, I've met with the folks that are members of the local Sunrise Movement, and you know, I'm a little I'm a little concerned. Um, you know, throughout the summer, they had a lot of coordinated events with our incumbent, mm-hmm. and um, I kind of asked why and uh you know and i brought up the fact that our incumbent has three million dollars over three million dollars in fossil fuel stocks i brought up the fact that he took fossil fuel money for the last 23 years and they were like yes we're we're, we're working on that and uh, but he's currently in power so we'll just roll with it I, I you know i don't know yeah. I, I i don't know um all i can tell you is that uh, i've reached out i've made uh uh, um, uh, I reached out on multiple times to to really talk about the real issues because for me this is a very serious issue. It's my number one issue because quite frankly if we don't save our planet none of the other issues matter. No, I've got a six year old daughter That's a good da- way of thinking about it. Seriously. W- seriously. I've got a six year old daughter who needs a planet to live on. Who needs a stable country and government to live in and who needs a life worth living because quite frankly I do not want to foresee an apocryphal uh, future. I just or I, she, I, I, can't w- or she can't have kids or she Future yeah. where 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 you know, you know Do you want to live in a place where you have to have a gas mask on every day? I don't. No. That's or what that you have to stay yeah. out of the uh outdoors because of radiation from the sun or whatever or the heat. Um that is not in existence.
0: And that's down that's down the road. I'm not that that's not a realistic thing within fifty years. But Look, with the way it's heading in two hundred years, it probably would be.
1: All I'm saying is we need to do something and we need to do something now yes. and not wait.
0: Do you want to hear my idea on what to do? Sure. And I've said it three times on the show. I'm so sorry for people. Um, instead of a carbon tax, a loose based, oh, things just cost more and it just goes into the government, goes wherever. A direct externality. You buy a soda can, it costs exactly how much more it costs to um, carbon capture the the amount of carbon it costs to make that can in the soda. Same with plane rides and gas. It costs like 30 cents extra per gallon and that goes to a carbon capture farm that takes that takes that much carbon out of the air. A direct money to money um, interaction. You buy a laptop, $200 extra to, you know, help. Like, how make, do you
1: calculate that all?
0: Well, I mean, they're making carbon capture firms that are more and more economical, but they're expensive. Waterline. Mm-hmm. So, but everything, you know how much carbon is goes into the air when you burn a gallon of gas. So you could just calculate that in.
1: I got an idea. Yeah. Let's stop using the gas. Yeah. I mean, that's the goal. That's the goal. Well, no, you know, we can do it. I mean, look, if we can go from 1959 to 1969 and go from not having one rocket into outer space to putting a man on the moon in 10 years, I think we can do it. You know, yeah, it, it, it's an it's not a matter of uh, the ability; it's a matter of the will. Yeah,
0: but you say do it. It's replacing probably ninety five percent of cars on the road. What are we going to do with all? Like, I mean, I, I'm I'm a hundred percent with you. So,
1: so that's the thing. We we live in an economy that's based on fossil fuels. Yeah, everything. I mean, Economic we have so many people that are it. are with within the auto industry. We have people that are in the construction industry for the roads and everything. And, you know, and I get it, I get, I understand people's fears of what are we going to do if we don't have cars to build, or if we don't have, you know, people being able to dig out the coal, you know, those are hundred thousand dollar jobs for people without a a high school diploma. Those, that, that doesn't exist in any other industry. I get it, but we need to get transition out of that. If we want to have a planet to live on and look, The earth is going to be fine. It's just going to be fine without us. It is not about destruction of the planet. It is about destruction of ourselves. This is an existential crisis um, where we are basically putting a gun to our own heads. For some
0: monetary profit temporarily for people that aren't even us. Right. Right. It's a weird thing. So how do you uh, balance that with your, do you hate, are you one of the people who hates billionaires? (laughs) I mean, what do you think of someone like Elon Musk who is doing good and he has billions of dollars because he owns so much equity in Tesla?
1: Yeah. You know, I, I don't think that billionaires should exist. I really don't. Um, Because, uh, you know, uh, the benevolent billionaire, right? The benevolent billionaire says, well, I will secure all of this funds and then I will come around and I will, I will, I will donate and contribute and and provide charities and stuff. It's like 1% of their wealth. If that, if that, and that doesn't really solve the problems, you know, then Uh, we're at the whim of their kind generosity. Right. And all it is, is to inflate their egos. I mean, it's the same thing uh, with all the billionaires. There's only so much money that you can spend, right? The the what other reason is there to hoard that wealth other than to say I have it and you do not?
0: But here's the thing: forty billion dollars of of Elon Musk's fifty billion dollars is in Tesla stock, like he's a majority shareholder of the company, and he's supporting fifty thousand people directly and through parts two hundred fifty thousand people. Like, and there it's the transition to electric cars. Like he's going to be the Apple of electric cars. So like yeah he has 50 billion dollars but, but here's the thing
1: yeah uh that's great about electric cars and everything yeah but we shouldn't have cars
0: oh uh, well, then what what do we have what do we have mass
1: mass transit listen yeah you know okay. one yeah, of yeah, the yeah. most efficient cities in the world what about country folks though i'll, I'll get to that okay. in a second but one of the most efficient cities in the world Copenhagen, is new york city You know, every square uh, block of New York City, uh, you've got uh, mass transit. Majority people take it. Uh, You've got uh, little bodegas. Everything is all enclosed, and you have efficient use of energy. You know, um, this whole when we when we look at the future, we look at this George Jetson future where everybody's got their own little air. Uh, a flying car and stuff. That's ridiculous. We should never look at a future where we have that kind of individual because that's inefficient and it's wasteful. We need to think, and do things more collectively. And I, I know that's a scary word for some people, collectivism, collective, socialism, so social. Many, so
0: many people spend all their time trying to differ, get away from the world, like, okay, yeah. I have my own everything and I'm super self-sufficient. But at the end of the day, that just makes you sadder and lonelier to be yeah. 100% cut off. Well, I
1: mean, that's the thing. I mean, we, we, we've got people that have their McMansions out in in, in the suburbs, have their own indoor uh, theater and everything, just so that they don't have to be around others. Uh, but if every Everybody lived that way, we would need 25 planets. We would need 25 Earths. And mm-hmm. we, simply, we simply cannot do that. Right now, we have in China a growing middle class, a middle class that is starting to have the same taste that Americans have. They're becoming carnivores. Uh, they're becoming uh, materialistic.
0: Om- omnivores. Uh, well, omnivores. Okay, fine. <laughs> omnivores. <laughs> well, well what, what,
1: I, what I was what I was yeah, trying to more, say is more e- more they're, they're eating focused. more meat than, yeah. than they have ever in their history. Uh, they're wanting... You can see some of the, the suburbs that they have outside of some of these cities and it looks just like a suburb here and again we go back to having these individual single family houses your individual car these things are inefficient we need to go to more collective things we need to have mass public transit we need to have instead of single family zoned areas where you have um, you know uh, duplexes triplexes quads and, and the like because it is simply more efficient you know, um, we can't all have our own little castle and everything and still have a planet. Yeah. Uh, fact of the matter is the United States makes up less than 3% of the population of this planet. Yet we consume over 25% of its resources. Now, you know, we talk and we complain about China and we talk and complain about how, uh, their, 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 their pollution and everything. We've been polluting this planet since the beginning of the industrial revolution. And we benefited from that, and we have the standard of living that's higher than most areas of the world. Again, it's the lifeboat.
0: <laughs> We're here, but no one else should get here.
1: Exactly. Yep. And and we, we cannot continue to do that uh, and expect uh, to have a working and living planet.
0: Yeah. It's horrible. And so do you think the brand new Congress is a good way to get there? So if Bernie wins, but all of Congress, or like a lot of Congress aren't blue, <laughs> mm-hmm. he probably won't get
1: much through. Well, yeah. even if all of Congress is blue, he probably won't get much through because- really? Quite frankly, there's a lot of animosity within uh, the Democratic Party. There are plenty of people that say that Bernie's not a Democrat, right? There's plenty of people that that's, you know, for me, when I look at this whole system, I look at a, a Republican Party that is waning, a Republican Party that has is shrinking and is becoming a minority party, a minor party uh, that is becoming more fascist. And, and far right. Yeah.
0: Well, do you know why and, they're so against immigration? Cause people immigrate here and then vote left. <laughs> of course they're against it.
1: And then I see a democratic party that's shifting to the right. So
0: you think it's shifting to the right? I think it's shifting further left. I think both sides are just shifting. Well, I think to there's a,
1: there, there's a, there's there's a significant tension. And I think that, uh, we can see, I, I can see, I can imagine a future where the Republican party becomes a minor party and the mainstream democratic party becomes the new Right and that a new left or a breakaway left forms from there
0: yeah which would be good i think i think um if it's on the left it should move toward the center i think the center is the ultimate answer i mean not incremental center, but I'm in terms of like, Oh, with abortion, should you be able to get a nine month abortion or no abortion in the middle? You should be able to get a reasonable abortion. Mm-hmm. Like I think a middle answer is, is for everything and that, I could be wrong, but I, I,
1: I think generally speaking, um, you know, in a democracy you're looking for answers that are going to be workable for most folks. Yes,
0: Yeah. And you, you just got to take everyone into account. And so taking the future into account, what do you think are some jobs of the future?
1: Jobs of the future. So thank you. One of the things that I want to focus on is that we have uh, been subsidizing um, this military industrial complex for over 70 years. Yeah. Okay. So what I mean by that is we've got things like the F-35 fighter plane. First of all, we have not had a conventional war, you know, that you had fighter plane versus fighter plane in
0: 60 years? A long time.
1: A long time. Yet we continue to build these fancier and fancier dogfighting fighter planes to the tunes of hundreds of millions of dollars. Why? Because it subsidizes jobs. We're providing jobs for some... Congress member of Congress out of Ohio so that they can have a factory that builds the tail wing for this fighter. But those some, people
0: don't get paid nearly enough.
1: Some representative in West Texas so that the engine components for that plane can be built. But those planes are then in turn wasted because we spend you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars in maintenance and airtime and everything and training pilots to do these imaginary dogfights that they're never going to have. And then they eventually be used as bombers, even though we have bombers. They eventually use as bombers in uh, countries uh, that never, um, you know, that most Americans couldn't find on a map uh, so that we can protect the vital interest of some corporation. And so it becomes this vicious circle where uh, we are subsidizing jobs for for uh, members of Congress in their districts uh, so that they can continue to have those jobs, and then we have these uh, artificial or, or or manufactured wars so that we can continue to use those things, and it c- becomes a vicious circle. So now I want to go back to the jobs of the future. I'm going to yeah, turn this yeah, round yeah, full yeah, circle. Give it, give it. So instead of uh, having a military industrial complex, what I envision is a future where we can that military industrial complex into a green industrial complex we've got experts okay we've got experts in a wide range of technologies out there that are using their expertise their smarts their know-how to build things that we don't need weapons of mass destruction things that are going to continue to be used for destruction and destabilizing different parts of the world instead of that what we should be doing is we should be converting uh, those folks and their skills to develop things that we do need, like newer, more efficient batteries, Energy. like figuring out how to harness different natural energy systems, renewable, ones. renewable systems to figure out how we can have more efficient infrastructure to rebuild our infrastructure, to rebuild, to make a national public utility in the internet, yeah. to rebuild our educa- our, uh, uh, our education system for the 21st century and um, to look toward the future and not the past. So when you talk about future jobs, the future jobs are already here. It's just a matter of, we need to shift the government focus to reallocate funding. Absolutely. To, to things that are going to be beneficial for us and not harmful.
0: Yeah. So here's one big pin in that. Um, and I'm actually going to have someone on the show, um, a pro Islam person on the show soon, but I'm borderline all right in the sense that I think wars might occasionally be necessary. I mean, do you know how many terrorist attacks happened worldwide last year in 2018? Tell me 1,800, 10,000 people died, 11,000 injured. It just doesn't happen here. It happens in, Oh, it does happen here. It doesn't happen as much. It Uh, it happens in North North Africa, white
1: supremacist terrorism. That we have yes. on a regular basis, Jewish synagogues that have been, uh, shot up. I mean, we've, we've got domestic terrorism here. We just don't but, call it terrorism. But not nearly 10,000 people. Like, and I, like Islam, it's, it's something that, I don't know, something needs to change. So here's the thing. Yeah. Um, when you, when you look around the world and you talk about terrorism and I, and I think the word terrorism is a loaded word because one man's terrorist is another man's freedom fighter. Every single time. That's a good phrase for it. And here's the thing. Um, When we talk about terrorism around the world, what we do is we're only scratching the surface. We're not taking a deep dive. We're not looking at the totality of the situation. We're not looking at the deep history. You know, a lot of the things that are so-called terrorism around the world uh, is really folks that are trying to fight for uh, what is rightfully theirs, folks that are trying to fight for stability and protection and safety and security for their own, um, that has not been provided to them because of larger powers, including the United States, going in and destabilizing areas for, again, the benefit of a select few to profit. Now, I've got a good couple of cases in point. Um, you know, recently we talked about Iran. Back in uh, the 1950s, Iran was one of the first states that the United States did regime change uh, during peacetime. And it was because uh, Iran, uh, the government of Iran, wanted to nationalize its natural resources of oil. Well... British and American oil companies were like, whoa, 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 we're making too much money off of this. If they nationalize it, we're going to get kicked out. So then the U.S. sends the CIA in to destabilize that country. And one of the things about our you know, our proactive measures with foreign policy is there are always unintended consequences and we never look far enough into the future to see them. And well, you can trace the entirety of the last 70 years in Iran to that destabilizing uh, uh, event back in the 1950s, 1953 to be precise. Yeah. So you think if we just let it be, it would eventually kind of even out. Look, uh, I, I'm glad glad that you use that turn of phrase, let it be. Because that right there is the kind of paternalism that I think that we need to get away from. The American people and the American government uh, seem to think that we are first among equals. Uh, Now, in international law, a sovereign is a sovereign is a sovereign. It means that every country is an equal to every other country. Yet, when we talk... We talk about what we will allow. You know, in the last presidential debate, I brought this up on Twitter. The last presidential debate, we had presidential candidates saying that we will not allow Iran to have a nuclear weapon. Well, we have a nuclear weapon. So does uh, Russia. So does the United Kingdom. So does France. Uh, You know, back when South Africa, when white rule south africa had a a a nuclear weapon we didn't talk about that when israel who currently does even though they don't want to talk about it uh white ruled israel has a nuclear weapon we don't talk about that but when we talk about pakistan we talk about india we talk about China. We talk about North, North Korea. Um, this is a kind of white supremacist foreign policy that needs to stop. Because quite frankly, when you do not respect the sovereignty of other countries, how are you going to expect to get them to the bargaining table? How are you going to expect to get folks to talk uh, uh, and, and, and hold to, to promises? I mean, it wasn't, the, it wasn't Iran that broke uh, the last uh, uh, agreement. It was the United States. Yeah.
0: It's weird to be a member of the United States and knowing that your tax
1: dollars go toward that. Yeah. You know? So, uh, again, we, we, and I hate to use the word we, it is the United States as in the, con- uh, the government uh, needs to stop uh, uh, using uh, words that look down upon other countries because uh, we are a, a, a nation, a globe, a, a, a globe consisting of, of sovereigns not, there shouldn't be different levels of sovereignty
0: to get it back. Um, local. Yes. In our own sovereign Medicare and student debt. Those are two ones that I'm a bit, that's the reason I'm voting for Bernie is student debt. Like and Medicare, we're taking our money. We're subsidizing the U S off of, um, young people, old people, Mm -hmm. sick people. Mm -hmm. What the fuck? That's
1: gotta change. So, you know, I'm, I'm in debt for student loans and that was one of the reasons why I joined the, the military, Um, Quite frankly, there are so many of us that are effectively indentured servants. We are stuck with mortgage size student loans from a system that has benefited and has profited on us because quite frankly, you look at the cost of tuition Uh, in colleges, and it grows exponentially, far greater than inflation. You look at the cost of books, they have gone up like 800%. It's ridiculous. So there's all of these people making money off of student debt. And now the government provides, uh, uh, very easily provides student loans. Yeah, And you know, the unintended consequences of that easy provision of student loans is that uh, we have that inflationary uh, bend when it comes to tuition and the cost of books and everything else. Uh, and, you know, quite frankly, not everybody gets to be uh, the super lucrative CEO that can pay no, off. Pay it off. Yeah. You know, uh, president Obama f- finished paying off his school loans um, after his presidency, I believe. Wow. And, for the regular everyday American, that's a struggle. And when you look at it, we should be providing it as an investment. All of our yes, education should yes. be an investment in our own people. We want a smarter country. Exactly. You want a smarter country. You want a more productive country. You want a country that's uh, filled with people that are uh, having a high quality of life. I mean, if we're not all uh, you know doing well, then none of us are doing well because ultimately... Everyone pays for it in the end, be it in any, uh, any and all of the negative externalities. Um, you know when we when we don't f- provide a, a public education system that is truly equal and it isn't. I'll tell you that right now. it depends on what zip code you're in, uh, what kind of education you're going to get, yeah.
0: Not mm-hmm. even just college, but all of like younger. I'm people. talking about elementary school. Yeah. I'm that's, talking about that's high the real school. Problem: They don't get to pick where, and if you're in a bad place, you get a less. You get crappy, crappy education. Less funding.
1: But guess what? You know uh, that affects us all. Yeah. Because when 100%. those students aren't provided an opportunity to succeed. We're going to pay for it in social services. We're going to pay for it in increased uh, police and crime prevention. We're going to pay for it in uh, more graffiti, more uh, uh, folks that are are struggling. We, We need to make our communities better. And that's the point of government is not, you know, I know there's some people out there saying, oh, you want to give a handout to everyone. And that's simply not the case. You know, we all chip in. Uh, or we're supposed to, because quite frankly, our, our corporations aren't, and our wealthy are, are able to skirt the rules. So it, the, the rest of us pay for a system. And then in turn, that money gets converted into profits for those at the very top when it should be focused on providing benefits for all of us so that we can have a better and greater community at every level uh, of our society.
0: I'm um, 100%. Just to make it clear for everyone who's against handouts, quote unquote, uh, the wealthiest three people in the U S have more money than the lower half 50% yes. and the wealthiest eight people in the world have more money than 4 billion people.
1: That's ridiculous.
0: Why would you ever point fingers at poor people? Yeah. It's cause they want you to. Yeah. And it, 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 I don't. Um, but then also on the other side of that is Medicare. Old people, we're mm-hmm. we're making people. If, if you get sick, that's pretty much a crime. Mm-hmm. And uh, when you're old, that you should die homeless. That's pretty much what the government's saying right. to old and sick people. Cancer, you, you you deserve to die homeless if you get cancer. What the fuck?
1: Look, you know my that's horrible. My mom worked until uh, oh. you know she um, basically was put in the hospital uh you know she's she's one year younger than my opponent she's 70 uh and uh you know now she lives with my sister my sister takes care of her her and her husband um and uh, you know I, without without having medicare uh i just don't understand how she she would not be able to afford her medication she would not be able to to, to quite honestly survive
0: yeah do you think um the US can transition to Medicare for cuz the Obamacare was horrible but he said we have a like it's one step in the right direction.
1: No, see, I call bullshit on that. Ooh, uh, on that which one? On on the Affordable Care Act. So, you know, the Affordable Affordable Care Act was a, what 10,000 page law uh you know, And we were on the Affordable Care Act for a, a short while when it first came out. And then the next year, it was decent coverage for a decent amount of money the first year. The second year, uh, costs went up like 30%, and our coverage went down significantly. Uh, and what effectively happened within the second year was that the insurance companies basically had little territories that they covered and basically yeah. two, maybe three in each territory. Yeah. And they've, they colluded to fix prices. They colluded to reduce the coverage, colluded to increase the cost.
0: That's what I meant bad. It's still forcing yeah. private insurance companies no, to still that, own the sector. No. That's what I mean. But it's well, a step, yeah, yeah. It's a so, step toward so that incrementalism.
1: Yes. That incrementalism is what I'm talking about is you, you cannot provide universal health care and still have, a, yeah, a, a, a for private. profit health care yeah. system
0: that's Look, enforced, you can still have Medicare for all with allowable private interest just sure, no one needs it. Yeah, no.
1: Yeah. But that's so, the thing. So you so think Obamacare is, wasn't good? No, I don't think yeah. Obamacare was good. I, I, I think, uh, you know, people are confused there are too many people that are confused about how that whole system works. they're going to say oh it failed well it was built to fail it was built and designed uh not to provide healthcare to everyone it was built and designed to continue to have private health insurance that was that was the compromise it was to continue to have private health insurance companies in there because they were paying a lot of money f- to both sides of the aisle you know my opponent takes a lot of money from health care insurance companies even though he says he's a proponent for single payer medicare for all um, but you know what we need is a single-payer Medicare-for-all system, and if you have that, that is the end of private health insurance industry, and I think that is a good thing. I don't think that we should have an industry that, um, uh, that is, exists on people's death people's uh health and and sickness no you know that's an extra layer of 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 profit and and red tape that could be going to actually employing that money to to take care of people and and to heal people yeah
0: i just went to a power of eight session the other day and one of the people there works in cancer radiation and stuff and he's like the most sickening part of my job is when people can't pay for it hmm and it's just like it's not like one of those things like oh an arm's cut off so they get it yep. even if they can't pay for it it's like something that you just don't get
1: right if you can't afford it. Well, here's the thing. I mean, like Pete Buttigieg's Medicare for those who want it. That that little uh, I've heard about it. Oh, so uh, Mayor Pete wants to do Medicare for those who want it. Right there is <laughs> you don't understand how insurance works. Yeah. You know, insurance is you want to try to get the largest pool possible to spread the risk. If you do a Medicare for those who want it, what eventually will happen is you have private health insurance companies cherry pick the healthiest people because that's how you increase your profits is by not paying out um, uh, on, on, on claims. And then you leave the rest of those for the public option, the Medicare for those who want it. It's, so it's not you get all the sick people concentrated into that. That eventually collapses because everybody is sick. And there's no spreading the risk. So what happens then is one of two routes. Either um, we continue with the private health insurance uh, regime where they accept those people, but they give them high deductibles and very low coverage. Or we go back to the bad old days where some people just simply didn't get coverage. I know
0: It's sickening. Yeah. And here's the whole thing where everyone's like, oh, socialism sounds awful. It's like... Think about how...
1: Socialism f- was what brought you the roads, is yeah. what brought you education, yeah, th- It's what we brought have you national defense. social systems. We have yes. social
0: systems and they help.
1: But here's the thing.
0: I want it to be stronger. I want it to be the point where 40% of my, my income gets taxed because I mean it's pretty much there anyways and it's just used better to the point where I don't have to get new tags for my car all the time and all this stuff. Like I want it all to be taken care of. Mm-hmm. Life should be simple like actually drain the swamp but in a realistic way where there's not just all these jobs created for people that just bog down everyone's existence it's like come on right i think it would help everyone to just have a more streamlined life like you have a car it's covered if you Mm -hmm. get in a crash like it's okay everyone's gonna be okay rather than you know it's it's a horrific system out there but we are almost at an hour Uh oh wow yeah. Do you what 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 about yourself? Do you want to tagline a little bit
1: about like you like? Yeah, sure. You know, so a lot of folks are asking. You know, well, what are your qualifications, <laughs> right? Yeah. Well, first of all, I am a citizen here. I am a representative of a lot of different uh, communities here here's the thing i have been involved within the community here locally in a wide variety of different areas i was appointed to the citizens review committee by the city council that's the police oversight committee uh i uh was involved with police hiring committees i was involved with TriMet's transit equity advisory committee i'm on the board for apana which is the asian pacific american network of oregon uh currently sit um, on the u.s commission on civil rights um you're so going through
0: the, them too fast. Everyone's going to think they're one. That was six right there. Five. Yeah. <laughs> There's quite a few.
1: Yeah. No. So like I said, after 2015, I got, I started getting involved with a lot of different things. I became a, a, a member of the democratic party, became an elected precinct committee person, a state central committee delegate. You've been making this happen. This is your year. This is the thing. Uh, I've been trying to get involved within the community and, and the things that are more most important to me so I was looking at things like uh, police accountability I was looking at things like the homelessness and low-income uh, issues which is why I got involved with the giving tree these are you know aside from a 50-hour job as a Dean uh, when I had that I was doing 10 to 20 hours of volunteer work on the side and a family and a family and it, did, it didn't seem like it didn't seem like work though it wow. seemed like I was you know, being a part of the community, I was doing uh, my part to help make this community better. So that's, that's what I'm about. But aside from that, you know, I have uh, been in the United States Army, I have worked in international trade, I have owned my own business, I've worked in project management, and most recently I was one of the deans at Portland Community College. That's my professional background. My personal background, I, work, I grew up working class next door to Ferguson in St. Louis in Moline Acres. Um, you know, my family faced domestic violence, which led to our homelessness. I went to five different high schools in three different states. I've experienced l- some pretty serious things, uh, and I, I talk a little bit about those things, but I think that the combination of my lived experience with my professional experience would bode well for someone who wants to represent all of the people of the district and not just those at the very top. Yeah, yeah,
0: I am blown away. Um, I'm actually gonna pay for ad space for this to be played in the third like this area of portland <laughs> um if you win congress will you, when you win congress will you come back on the show sure and certainly yes beautiful yeah I, I appreciate your time um everyone go out and vote thank you